Well, good morning. I know Ryan got to say good morning to you, but I haven't got to say good morning to you yet, so good morning. It's good to have each and every one of you here. I'm excited uh, to get right into the message today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, um, and we are concluding our series titled Unshakable. And every now and then, I end up preaching a series, and every single week I hear from multiple people. They stop me in the lobby, they send me an email, they write a note uh, just to say how pertinent the topic has been to them, to their life. And this has been one of those series. So if you've missed one of the messages is we've looked at five particularly uh, pertinent or important topics out of many. There's a number of, of unshakable characteristics of God that we've left on the table uh, with this series coming to a close now. But if you've missed one of those, or if somebody's come to mind and you'd like to share that message with them or share the series with them, there are ways that you can do that through our YouTube page, our Facebook page, our website, uh, our app, iTunes podcast. Like, there's five different ways you can share the message, and uh, maybe it would impact somebody else as well. And what I've tried to do with this series is, is to present the information in a way that is foundational, progressive, and transformational. The goal here is not just information, it's transformation. And so we started with God's unshakable word, that it would be absolutely foundational to our lives as his unshakable people, because it's his unshakable word that teaches us everything else that we can know about God, that his word is not changing, but it can change us. And it should change us as we come to his word, as we take it into us, that it would bring about change in our lives, that it would reveal things to us that are not in line with his will. And so from there we went to his unshakable grace, which is perhaps the greatest thing that his word reveals to us is his unshakable grace. And we can build our lives upon that. Then we moved into how we could cultivate unshakable hope in God. Hope that doesn't get rattled, that doesn't get shaken by the events of this life, that we could cultivate or create an environment in our own lives where hope could flourish, where hope could grow. And then last week we talked about God's unshakable kingdom, that that as believers in Jesus Christ, once we come into that relationship with him, we can take up residence in the kingdom of God, which is strong and unshakable and never in trouble. And so as we reside in that kingdom and as we send our roots down into his grace and into his word and we cultivate hope, then the goal was that we would become unshakable people. That each and every one of us would be and increasingly become unshakable in our faith, in our hope, in our courage for God and for his word and his work in this world. But also that collectively, we as a church... And as the body of Christ would be and increasingly become unshakable people, maybe even be and increasingly become an unshakable family of families. That, that that would happen individually and be a reality individually as we believe differently, as we have our eyes opened to who God is and to what he says about us, that we would believe differently and as a result we would think differently and even behave differently. I think that's the goal. And so that's why we talk about foundations to transformation. Our text for today is going to come from three passages in the book of 1 Peter. And there were a number of different places I could go with this, but I really felt like 1 Peter is a book that is written. It's a letter that was written to Christians who were suffering persecution. 
And it's teaching them how and encouraging them to be unshakable people in a very difficult set of circumstances where they were not in the majority, they were always in the minority. And whether they were converting from Judaism into Christianity or from paganism into Christianity, they were leaving behind their support system and they were in danger of falling away, in danger of giving up, in danger of losing hope and losing faith. And so Peter writes to Christians who are suffering and who are being persecuted, and he talks to them about how to be unshakable people. We actually referenced a passage from 1 Peter chapter 5 in week 2 when we were talking about God's unshakable grace, and it's sort of a a culmination, a capstone of that to exhort them to continue in their relationship with Christ. Today we want to look at a passage from each of the first three chapters. So we'll start in chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 3 through 7. I'm going to read 3 through 5 and then stop and kind of explain things a little bit, because there's a lot going on in verses 3 through 5, as you'll see. And then we'll kind of make application to verses 6 and 7 as well before we move on. But in First Peter chapter 1, which you can find on page 1886, if you need a Bible here in the sanctuary, you can pick up one from the seat in front of you and uh, turn to page 1886. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screens or in a Bible that you might have brought. But Peter says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So everybody get all that? (laughs) There's a lot going on. There's like subjunctive clauses and there's different things happening that are taking place there. But the first thing is to praise, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where, that's where we start, and that's, that, that's where we begin to be unshakable people is when we come back to praise and praising God over and over. And the reason that we praise Him is given there in the second half of verse 1, because in His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. That's good news. Mercy is good news. Mercy means we didn't get what we deserved. Mercy means that the people who had abandoned the first covenant, that that were supposed to be God's chosen people, that had abandoned the first covenant and turned away from Him, what they deserved was separation from God forever. But that's not what they got. And for people who had ignored God as He had revealed Himself through creation and as He had revealed Himself through His nation of chosen people, all the pagans, as they had rejected God and deserve to be separated from him forever. He's saying, praise be to God. He didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us something infinitely better. He gave us new birth into a living hope, not a dying hope, not a static hope, but a living and growing hope. That's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ through his resurrection from the dead. And not only that, he's given us an inheritance, an unshakable inheritance. Look at the descriptors he uses, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That sounds like an unshakable inheritance. It's guaranteed for us. This is also very good news. And he's saying that we, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. 
So all of this, you kind of put this together. We didn't get what we deserved. We got something much, much better. We got a new birth. We're a new creation. We're playing in a new covenant. We have an opportunity to be in a living and growing and active hope and to look forward to an internal and unshakable inheritance. And not only that, but in the here and now, we are shielded through faith by his power, not our own power but by his power. And so when you put all of that together, you say, man, this is pretty good stuff. This is really good news. And if you were receiving this from one of these central church leaders in the early church, encouraging you, reminding you of this, it would help you to be unshakable in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution. And so as we, as believers, find ourselves in a world that gets crazier and crazier all the time and is always throwing things at us that could shake us, or that the enemy tries to, to chip away at our faith or to chip away at the, the, the reliance, the trust that we have in Jesus, this is reminding us of what has been done for us and who is standing on our behalf. So then verse 6 and 7 kind of gets a little more practical. In this you greatly rejoice. That's the first thing. That brings us back to verse 3. We rejoice. We praise God in light of this. Because this is a reality regardless of what is going on around us, regardless of the difficulties, the trials that he mentions there in the second half of verse 6. Though for now, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Yes, there's grief, there are difficulties, there are trials. Jesus promised that in John 16. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Peter's saying something similar. Did you know Peter was in? The upper room, when Jesus said that, he's basically restating it to us and to those who are struggling. And so we believe and we have faith and we trust because these have come, in verse 7, these trials, these difficulties have come so that your faith, which is of greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. A couple of really important words there in verse 7. Some of you are already smiling. He's going to point out the so that. Yeah, so that. Circle it every time you see it in your Bible. These are incredibly important words because they tell us what it means. Why what just got said matters. Because when our faith is growing and we make it through these trials and we rejoice in the middle of these trials because of the living hope that has been given to us, there's a so that. And the so that is that our faith may be proved genuine. And I was reminded when I read those words of one of my favorite bottom lines, and I had to quote Craig Rochelle to get it, but it says, faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. The more your faith gets tested and you know, makes it through the test, passes the test, the stronger it gets and the more it can be trusted. The more the faith that we have in Jesus Christ can be trusted to get us through, to keep us unshakable. And we go through the trials, we go through the difficulties in order to prove that faith genuine. We talked about that in the Stand series in 2019. Some of you weren't a part of the church in 2019. Some of you remember that. Some of you were a part of the church and you're like, I don't remember that one. Well, you can go to our website. You can click on sermons. You can go to 2019 and you could even listen to the whole Stand series again. If you want to develop a faith that helps you to stand in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecutions, this would be a great next step, a great way to continue to learn and continue to grow. 
But there's a phrase there that kind of gets bracketed out in most Bibles in verse 6. It talks about our faith. I'm sorry, verse 7. Our faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire. And I thought about that and I wondered, is your faith of greater value to you than gold or material possessions and all these things? And there's kind of a jab thrown in at them, a reminder that that's going to perish. That, that gold is going to perish, but your faith isn't. And so Peter's making a point that our faith should be of greater value to us than our material possessions, which is often where we look for security, where we look for stability, where we look to make sure we're going to be okay. And he's saying, no, it should be looking up. It's our faith that's of greater value. And when our faith is growing and our faith is being strengthened and our faith is being developed, then we're going to have the strength to stand. Then we find ourselves increasingly unshakable. And it is through faith that we're shielded by God's power. So don't miss this. Faith is critically important. If it was going to be a week six of the Unshakable series, it would probably be unshakable faith. But unshakable people have unshakable faith. So in a way, we can really focus in on this today and talk about what are the things that grow and develop and cultivate our faith. Because this really matters. It tells us in verse 7 that our faith may be proved genuine, but also that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Like you realize that your faith can result in that, not just in your life, but in the lives of other people around you. That as you seek to reach people for Christ and give them a place to belong and help them grow in their faith, that results in praise, glory, and honor in the lives of other people when Jesus Christ is revealed. So this, this is cyclical. This grows and expands, at least it was intended to. And so the next section, if you read the rest of that introduction, and then you move into the second half of, of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, is a call to holiness. Saying, because of all this, be holy. And so I want to pause right there before we dive into chapter 2, and I want to call your attention to something that was on a chair next to you when you came in. It was a, a spiritual practices survey. Now, some of you were here in October. It seems like a long time ago, but October wasn't that long ago. I was surprised to learn that today uh, as I thought, you know, October seems like it was a long time ago, but it, it really wasn't. In the last part of September and the early part of October, we had a spiritual practices survey. And it was the second survey of its kind. We had done something similar about a year and a half before that in February of 2020. Did anybody remember February of 2020? We had no idea, did we? We had no idea what was coming in February of 2020. When we took this survey, well, we took it again. And, uh, and the reason that we've been doing these surveys, we want to do them about every 18 months, is to, is to measure what matters. Anybody ever heard that phrase? That you have to measure what matters. And so if something matters, you measure it to make sure you're growing in the right direction. And so we decided as a local board of administration in 2019 and 2020 that what really mattered, three strategic anchors, three things that if we did those... We would accomplish our mission to reach people for Christ, give them a place to belong, help them grow in their faith as we increasingly become a healthy family of families. Like, that's not just pretty language. We actually want to do it. We actually want to see that vision come to reality. And so we decided disciple-making, service, and community. If we focus on those three things and we start measuring those three things and encouraging people in those three areas, that we might actually see our mission and vision become a reality. And so we decided in the area of disciple-making that we would measure the number of people that are actively engaged in personal spiritual disciplines. 
And we would ask the questions in, in key areas. That we would measure the number of disciple makers we had and the number of disciple making groups. That we would measure regularly how often are people engaged in service both within our church and outside our church. And that we would look at fellowship or community and how many people are engaged on a regular basis in fellowship here at Linwood, but also in the community. There's a whole kingdom of God. It's not just Linwood. There are other churches. There are other believers. There are community Bible studies. There are all kinds of ways to be engaged in fellowship. And so we wanted to to survey that. So we did it in February 2020 to sort of give us a baseline, and we did it again here last October, this past October, to, to see how we were doing. And we got some good, encouraging results, and we got a couple that we areas where we identified we really need to work on this. Okay? And so the first question and the second question really had to do with those personal spiritual practices that were private, more for yourself. Like, how often are you engaging in God's Word, and how often are you spending time in focused prayer? So I want to share a couple of those results for you um, and with you, and then kind of some things that we learned from that. And the really encouraging thing, the really exciting thing, is that the number of people who are spending time in God's Word, engaging Scripture, whether that's personal study or group environment, four times a week or more, grew significantly. It went from 55.3 to 65.6%. You might say, well, that's like 10%, but it's actually a 15% increase. The second number is 15.7% larger than the first number. So that's a significant increase in a small amount of time. And it, it tells us some certain things that we're doing are working and that people are enlisting and coming along with that. And that's good. That's really good. It's really exciting. We saw a similar increase in the number of people that are spending time, focused time in prayer, where you kind of have the head bowed and your eyes closed and your hands folded. You're focused on prayer or you're, you're, you're doing a prayer walk. I sometimes suggest that. Or you have a journal out and you're journaling your prayer, but you're focusing on communication with God. And we saw that increase similarly from 56.6% to 66.4%. So both of those went from just over half four days a week or more, to almost two-thirds. And four days a week or more is really significant that there's other research that indicates that two or three times a week or one time a week will have a marginal effect on your life as a whole. But four times a week or more has a huge impact on our lives as followers of Christ. That we need regular, it's not a once-a-week, all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> it's Three meals a day, spend time in God's word, spend time in prayer, nourish your soul, nourish your spirit. And so these two are really exciting. They tell us that people are connecting to God in greater, in greater frequency and in greater ways, and, and that maybe the banding together journals are helping people have a structure for that, and the banding together groups are helping people to, to stay accountable and to stay growing in that relationship. So that was really excited. Now, the third one was a little troubling. This was the one that got our attention and said, this is an area that we really need to focus and we really need to help people grow in. Question number three asks, how many weeks each month did you serve at Linwood? And the numbers there were, were somewhat concerning. The number of people that served zero times a month, zero weeks a month, grew from 31% to over 41%. That's a 25% increase. That means that two out of five people in this room, theoretically, are not serving here once a month. That's not a church. I don't know what it is, but it's not a church. We are called to serve one another. This is crystal clear throughout Scripture. And to see a 25% increase 
And yeah, there are a number of possible explanations. And so there's things that we can do, ways that we can address that. You've heard me talking about service more and more. But if you play the numbers out on that and you say we do this again in 18 months and there's another 25% increase, now we're at 51.6. And if you do it another 18 months and you survey again and it grows another 25%, we'd be at 64.7. And if you do it one more time, within five years, 81% of the people wouldn't be serving at all. That's not a church. And so this is an area where we really need to be focused and we really need to be growing. And the reality is that the numbers are probably higher because if you're not serving at all, you might be less likely to take the survey than somebody who is serving on a regular basis. So that could skew the data from the overall data. And so if you understand statistics at all, you know that that's probably underrepresented rather than overrepresented. And so we really want to encourage people, not because we have so many needs, but because you need to serve. Like so many things that God's word tells us to do that's not for God. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need you to give, but he tells you to give because you need to give. You need to remember who's first. You need to be partnered with God in his work in this world. And the same happens with service. We need to be serving. And there are all kinds of ways to serve. Sometimes we think only the people I see on Sunday serving are the roles where I could serve. And that's just not the case. Yes, there are greeters and there's hospitality team and there's people that serve coffee. And there's people that are with the children right now. And there are people that are with our students and our young people on Wednesday nights in very visible roles. But there are backstage roles. There are midweek roles. There are people that come in every Monday and help straighten up the sanctuary. Because sometimes y'all leave it a mess. You wouldn't believe that. But it's true. It's not as bad as the movie theater, but sometimes I'm like, what are we doing here? If you brought the coffee in, you can take the coffee out, right? But there's people that come in and they do that or that wash the toys. You wouldn't believe how many toys end up in a kid's mouth. It's good to wash the toys. There's people that do that because it needs to be done. And it's valuable. It matters. And there are other midweek opportunities. And so I guess I would say if you're not serving for some reason... Have a conversation with a staff person. Pick your favorite. Pick the one that you think will be the nicest. And have a conversation. Say, you know, I'd like to serve, but here are my restrictions. Here are my limitations. Maybe there's things that you could do at home that you could pick up and, and stuff envelopes. Or you could do this. We don't mail big mailings anymore, but that was a bad example. But there are things you can do. Sandy's got a curriculum team she's trying to get off the ground for people that would come in and help get the curriculum and the activities ready. That's something you could do midweek. There's all kinds of things. We're going to be beefing up our prayer team in the next year, and you could be involved in the prayer team in a real tangible way. So please don't don't think that just because you can't do one of the things that you see people doing that you can't serve. You can. Now, question four was, was pretty similar. There was some movement, but most of the... The numbers stayed just about the same. There wasn't a significant difference there, but there's way too many people not serving in the community. Like, we really want to be reaching the whole world for Christ, not just the people that come through our doors. And so as we serve in the community through community partnerships and and through ministries or even non-ministry ways that we can serve and be a light, we need to be focused on that. Now, question five and six were were encouraging in some ways. They're kind of mixed because we weren't quite sure if some of that was COVID-related. But question five asks... Uh, how often are you serving or how often are you experiencing fellowship at Linwood? And the number of people that were here at least two times a month actually grew. That were experiencing fellowship here at Linwood grew from 50% 
to 62.6%. That's a 20% increase. So people got more consistent in their attendance, in their fellowship here. And that could be through discipleship groups midweek, or that could be, you know, through coming to church a little bit more frequently. Some of our extracurricular activities diminished somewhat in the last 18 months. And, and so maybe there was a consolidation with church. Fellowship outside Linwood actually decreased. The, the number of people that were not experiencing fellowship outside of Linwood, Christian fellowship, grew from 25% to almost 40%. Then we really have to maintain a kingdom mindset. Yes, this is your church and this is your church home, but there's a whole world out there and there's a whole kingdom that we can be a part of and can be engaged in. And I tell you all this and I kind of conclude it because I have a hunch. Do you want to hear my hunch? I have a hunch. Thank you, Corey. I have a hunch that if you were in the Word and in prayer seven days a week, and if you were serving in your church and in your community four times a month, and if you were experiencing fellowship in the church and in the community four times a month, I think you'd be pretty close to unshakable. I just, I just think, like, if you look at the data, there's about 10% of the respondents that would fit into that category. Seven days a week in the Word and Prayer, four times a month at Linwood, four times a month in the community, experiencing fellowship and serving. And I, go, I would venture to guess that those are the people that if we kind of did a straw poll, who do you think is unshakable around here? Who do you think just handles it? When, whenever something comes, they're solid in their faith. They're solid in their hope. They've cultivated an environment in their life where their hope is always growing. It's, it's probably, they're becoming increasingly unshakable as we do these things. These are all over the word. It c- encourages us to do this over and over and over again. And I saw a quote that, that really stood out to me this week. And it's from a favorite author, but it's not from the book I'm reading right now. And she says, the only thing you have to do to let weeds grow in your life is nothing. And nothing is a choice. And weeds are anything that distract us from God, anything that separate us from God, anything that make us increasingly shakable would be weeds. And the only thing you have to do to allow weeds to grow in your life is just like the only thing you have to do to allow weeds to grow in your garden. It's nothing. They'll show up on their own, right? You don't have to plant them. They find their way in there. And nothing is a choice. But we can also choose. We can choose to grow our faith. We can choose to cultivate our hope. We can choose to grow stronger. And the reason that this matters so much comes in chapter 2. So I want you to turn a page or two over to chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. This is why everything that I've just said matters so much. Because you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's why this matters so much, because of who we are. If we were in Christ, if we have come into the family of God, This matters. This matters a lot. We have a new identity. He calls us a royal priesthood. He calls us a holy nation. We're residents of his kingdom. We belong to him. What do priests do? Do you know what priests do in the Old Testament? Same thing they do in the New Testament. They bring people to God and God to people. That's what priests do. Read your Old Testament. The priest is the one who is the intermediary between God and people. 
And he says, we're a royal priesthood, that we are not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood because we're king's kids now. We've come into the family and we are part of the family of God and we are to bring people to God and God to people in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we share our faith, in the way that we serve one another and pray for one another. And the so that is so important. The so that that we see in verse 9 there. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the purpose. To declare his praises, to spread the word. I don't know if any of you are fans of the Marvel movies. I'm not recommending them from the pulpit by any means. But I've seen quite a few. I've got teenage boys And we've watched some of those together. And there's a character in the Marvel movies named Loki. He's the brother of Thor. Now, Thor's the god of thunder. Loki is the god of mischief. But I laugh every time Loki introduces himself. And sometimes he does it in a very grandiose way because he says, I am burdened with glorious purpose. And it's a joke because his purpose is to create mischief. But the reason I share that is because every time I hear that, I think, you know, we were created and burdened with glorious purpose. We were created in the purpose for our salvation in Jesus Christ is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. So you could start to introduce yourself in a very real way as Mark Sundstrom, burdened with glorious purpose. You have a glorious purpose to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. This really matters. Do you feel the weight of that? If we as the people of God, if we as those who have been called out of darkness into his glorious light, if we as those who have been birthed into a living hope are silent or live in such a way that we're indistinguishable from the world around us, then who's going to declare his glorious light? Who's going to declare his praises? Who's going to tell people how they can be called out of darkness into his glorious light? And so with all that in mind, he says in verse 11 and 12, again, another call to holiness, another call to godly living. He says, abstain. Dear friends, as I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires. Why? Because they wage war on your soul. It's not because they're going to give a black eye to God. They wage war on our soul. Yeah, they'll do that too, but they wage war on our soul. They wage war on the part of us that is eternal. He says, don't have anything to do with them. They don't show up with a sign that says, hello, I'm a sinful desire here to wage war on your soul. Or we might be more likely to resist temptation. But it always looks like it's going to be good or it's going to be enjoyable or it's going to be pleasurable or it's going to solve some unmet need in our life. And it never does. It always separates us from God or from people or from ourselves. He says to abstain from those sinful desires, to identify them, to resist temptation, to abstain from them because they wage war on our soul. And we should be aliens and strangers in this world, not not fitting in too well. And we should live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they would see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That we would live such good lives. Now, pagans aren't just people that were far from God a long time ago. There's pagans today. There's pagans out there. There's pagans in Sioux Falls. Pagans are anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ because that's an idolatry. Or there's atheists. There's people that, are, you know, materialism is their God. Or, or some polytheistic system is their God. And he's saying, no, live such good lives among those people where you're aliens. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see the way you live their life. 
They see your good deeds and they will glorify our Father when he returns. That's the goal. That as many people as possible will be glorifying God forever. Not not just that we will kind of somehow make it through, but that we will spread the good news that more and more people will come into the family of faith and that it will continue to grow. And that's why many of us are here today, 2,000 years later. Because it did that. It grew. It flourished. But wise people have said Christianity is always just one generation from extinction. We have to reproduce. We have to share our faith. We have to bring new people in to this glorious light. And to kind of put everything to a close, he says in chapter 3, there's a finally all of you. And I, I laugh that the finally, all of you, comes in chapter 3 when there's five chapters. You see, I, I preach like that sometimes. I say finally, and I'm only halfway through, right? But the, the drummer's getting up, so it's probably going to end pretty soon. <laughs> finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love his brothers, be compassionate and humble. What's verse 8 saying? It's saying it's holding up the value of community. And if you want to be unshakable people, you're going to need to link arms with some other unshakable people because there's going to be times when you're very shakable, but the people on either side of you are not. And so we link arms with unshakable people. We experience community because we really are better. We really are more unshakable together when we're surrounded by people who are like-minded, who are aligned with God and with each other, when we're sympathetic and we're experiencing brotherly love together, loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Any of you ever been a part of a church where everybody was brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? Heather and I went to a church on Sunday nights. We had a different church for Sunday mornings, but we got invited to this church, and we just loved it there. It was wonderful. But we were not Mark and Heather at this church. We were Brother Mark and Sister Heather. And once Keaton came along, even when he was in the car carrier, he was Brother Keaton, right? And even, you know, Pastor, when he preached, he was, he was Brother not pastor. He was brother. And it was a good reminder, like, we're in this together. We're part of the family of God. And it was beautiful in, in a very simple way. But that's the way we're to be. We're to be sympathetic and to be loving each other with brotherly love. That's a different kind of love than agape love, but we do agape love too. Don't, don't think you're off the hook on that. It's phileo. It's friendship love or brotherly love that we have a genuine interest in one another that we see lived out and being compassionate and humble. All of these are descriptors of what the church should be, what the community should be. That we're tender-hearted and we're merciful and we put others first. That's what humility means. It means to put others first. And the way that this fleshes itself out practically is really, really powerful. Because if you take this room and you say that everybody in this room just looks out for themselves, how many people do you have looking out for you? One, right? But if everybody in this room decides, I'm going to look out for everybody else first, I'm going to put everybody else first, then how many people are looking out for you? About 100? 120? Which one sounds more unshakable to you? Me looking out for myself or all of us looking out for each other? This is the way that we were designed to function as a church, as a community. And we see that when we choose to be like-minded and aligned with God and each other and sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble. And then verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but with blessing. 
because to this you were called so that you would inherit a blessing. You see, verse 8 talks about when everything's going right, when people are behaving and doing what they're supposed to. (laughs) There's no evil for evil. It's just blessing and blessing and blessing. And we're compassionate and we're humble and we're caring for each other and we're loving one another. But every now and then, verse 9 recognizes that whether it's within the fellowship or on the world outside the fellowship, evil will come. Insult will come. And so he says very clearly, do not repay evil with evil. Because what do you get if you repay evil with evil? More evil. And what do you get if you repay insult for insult? More insult. So if everybody's just doing evil and insult, then you got infinitely more evil and insult. But if we return blessing for evil and blessing for insult, then we, we reduce the amount of evil and insult in the world and we add blessing to the world. And it's pretty dark out there sometimes. And there's a lot of evil that comes our way. And there's a lot of insult that comes our way. But we are not to return evil for evil and insult for insult. We're to return blessing. We're to bless those who persecute us and pray for those who revile us, Jesus said. Because we're not only blessed to be a blessing, but we're blessed when we are a blessing. Look at that last phrase of, chapter, of verse 9. That, that when we do this, it's because we were called to be a blessing, also so that we would inherit a blessing. That when we choose to bless instead of responding with evil or insult, we, we grow into our inheritance. We become increasingly unshakable. And so our bottom line in all of this is that unshakable people stay connected to their unshakable God and to his unshakable people. Like we really are better together. We really need to be spending time in his word and in prayer and in service because those things draw us closer to God. They keep us in line with or in step with his spirit. But we also need to be connected to each other. We need to stay connected to other unshakable people. We need to lock arms with other people and bear one another's burdens, Paul writes in Galatians. Be connected to other unshakable people. Because this really matters. This is how the kingdom expands. This is how we become increasingly unshakable and how the church becomes increasingly unshakable. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the hope that you have given to us and we thank you for your kingdom which is still expanding here among us. For your kingdom which is growing for your kingdom which is strong and unshakable and never in trouble. Help us, Lord, to be and increasingly become unshakable people. Help us to be connected to you and to each other, to value our faith and the strengthening and the growing and the development of our faith more than anything. Because we really are better together and we really are better when we are connected to you. Lord, I think of this series, and as it comes to a close, Lord, I would say each of us should be asking, God, is there anything that I need to change? Is there anything that I need to pay more attention to? Is there anything, any commitment that I need to make? And if that's the case, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who respond in faith, who make the commitment, who start the change, who ask for help. Maybe there's somebody that comes to mind, somebody we could come alongside, somebody we could share our faith with, somebody we could share the hope that we have. God, whatever it is you're asking us to do, I pray that we would do it. 
without hesitation that we would experience deeper surrender at the foot of your cross. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.